Father, bless these words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Turning your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 8, be sensible. Now, the New King James says, be sober. But what it really means is be sensible. Be sensible, watch, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking someone he may devour. You do have an adversary. This should not be a surprise to you. You do have an adversary. The devil is an adversary to God, and therefore he is an adversary to you. So be sensible. Be understanding and realizing of the fact that you do have an adversary. And he is looking to see whoever will be not sensible so that he can take advantage of them and essentially destroy them. Now, the Word of God says in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1, that Satan and the other angels, Satan is a fallen angel, were standing before God. And Satan started to accuse Joshua. Joshua was not the Joshua that came after Moses. That's a different Joshua. This Joshua was a high priest in Israel. He grew up in Babylon. He was essentially a Babylonian even though he was an Israeli, but Israel was in captivity for a long time in Babylon. And then when Israel left captivity, they started up again many of the traditions and the laws that God had commanded them, and Joshua was a high priest. But Joshua was not raised in the traditions of Israel. Joshua was raised in the traditions of Babylon. And so Joshua's lifestyle was not the lifestyle of a good Israeli. His lifestyle was the lifestyle of a typical Babylonian. That wasn't great. And Satan accused Joshua to God because of his lifestyle. Now in verse 3 it said that Joshua was clothed in filthy garments. It's not really talking about garments. It's not talking about his clothing. When you read about garments in the Bible, frequently it speaks about lifestyle. And so Joshua didn't have a godly lifestyle because he was raised in an ungodly culture and he didn't know any better. God used him because his heart was right with God. Satan accused Joshua. The devil is your adversary. Literally, the word devil means adversary, and it's talking about an adversary in court. It's not talking about an opponent, let's say, on a battlefield, although he is our opponent in the kingdom warfare. But it's talking about an opponent in court. He is constantly accusing. That is what Satan does. He accuses. So, when the adversary works against you, he will frequently do it with accusation. 
Now, it doesn't matter if the accusation is factual or not. Because in truth, no accusation is according to truth. People may say, well, that's a fact. doesn't matter if it's a fact. Facts change. More information comes in, the facts are all of a sudden different. So never go with what's fact. Go with what's truth. Now, I'm not talking about the way governments work. I'm talking about the way individuals work with God. The way we function before Him. The way that we live with Him. We always go with truth, which is the Word of God, not facts, which is interpretation of data. If I go with interpretation of data, I will not be able to stand in truth. Because the data may or may not be interpreted correctly. Often it's not when it's associated with an accusation. Satan is a liar and he is the father of all lies, Jesus said. And so if I hear an accuser, I'm listening to a liar. Because that is what Satan does. Satan is an accuser and he is a liar. So accusation is never according to truth. Now, if somebody does something, let's say it's illegal, that's not the type of thing we're talking about. The justice system in the country deals with that. That's not the type of thing we're talking about. We're talking about things like relationships. We're talking about our place with God. We're talking about the way that we approach one another. We approach one another in truth. We're not talking about the state or federal justice system. That's a whole other ballgame. In Revelation 12.9, the great dragon was cast out, cast out of heaven. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. The word Satan means accuser. The word devil means adversary. So, the adversary, the accuser, who was the serpent in the garden, was cast out. And he deceives the whole world. How does he deceive the world? By lying accusations. Accusations that are not according to the truth of the word of God. He was cast to the earth and his angels, the demons, were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. He's here on earth. Unfortunately for us, the angels were happy to get rid of him out of heaven. So when he's saying this is fantastic, yes, the angels thought it was fantastic because the guy who was accusing God is no longer in heaven. But now he's on earth and he accuses us. Why does he do that? That's his nature. 
That's just the way he is. That's just what he does. This is why James 4.11 says, Speak not evil one of another. Because anyone who speaks evil of another is speaking evil of the word of God. They're judging the word of God. And so, speak not evil one of another. You don't receive evil reports, and you certainly don't speak evil reports. Now, that doesn't mean that if something is going on and you see it, you have to be an eyewitness, that you don't go to that person alone. You can make sure you're led, but you can, especially if it's something that's affecting you. But you do it alone. You don't repeat it to everybody. And if the person resolves it with you, it stays resolved. It doesn't get repeated. If you're going to make a mistake, make the mistake on the side of being cautious toward the Word of God. In other words, you don't speak evil of one another. Maybe you're not sure, maybe you are sure. If you're not sure, then say nothing. People say, well, they'll get away with it. Nobody gets away with anything with God. Don't ever say to yourself, they will get away with it. No. They want. God is extremely capable of dealing with people. No one gets away with anything with God. Now, you may say, well, nobody did anything about it. Really? Just wait and see what happens. Wait a little while and see people start falling on their faces as God is dealing with them. Because he will deal with them. So you don't touch that. You don't go there. You don't start the accusation. You don't listen to accusations. Why? Because then you're the one who's in trouble. Because God says, don't do it. Stop participating with the enemy, he is saying. The accuser of our brethren accuses them before God day and night. Therefore, don't listen to accusations. Simple as that. In John 10.10, he's called a thief. Through his accusations, he steals from people. He'll steal relationships. Sometimes he'll steal money through accusations. Sometimes he'll steal families. People get accused of things they don't do sometimes because there's people who don't like them and they want to hurt them. Thankfully, not everybody is like that, but there are some people like that. We all know people like that from time to time. They're just nasty. Well, why are they that way? Because they're being influenced by the devil. Watch out for that, that you never participate in it. Because if you participate in it, even by listening... God's coming after you because he opposes that person. In Psalm 64, when somebody goes against a believer, then the very words that they spoke are going to damage them, the people who spoke them. I've had first-hand experience with that. People tried to do some damage to me because I was a Christian. No other reason. And they told me that was the reason. That's why I say no other reason. They tried to do damage to me because I was a Christian. They didn't like the fact that I was a Christian. 
And the very damage they tried to do to me, their own efforts brought that same damage on them. That's how it works with God. If you set up a snare, you fall in it. Not the person you set it up for. This is how we deal with the devil. Now, the devil is somebody we do have to deal with. But we don't have to be afraid of him. Because he cannot win. He's got to be the most frustrated individual in existence. Because he cannot win. He is a thief. He comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But God came, Jesus came, so that we can have life and have it super abundantly. Well, if Jesus wants to give me a superabundance of life and Satan wants to destroy my life through things like accusations and negativity, guess who's going to win that battle? Jesus every time. Satan forgets he was created. Jesus is God who created everyone. And so we don't have to be afraid of him because God lives inside of us. In 1 John 4, 4, You are of God and have overcome them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is inside of you. He is greater than the devil. He is greater than the world system. He's greater than other people. You have nothing to be afraid of. God is in you and he's the greatest of them all. He's more powerful. He's smarter. He's more able. Whatever it is, God is in you and he's able to deal with it. So you never have to be afraid of him. Now, Satan... In Matthew 4.3 is a tempter. Temptation is a type of a lie. A temptation is when Satan whispers into your ear, it's called a projection, and he targets your old sin nature. And the old sin nature then gets activated by the projection that's coming from Satan or a demon he is the tempter, and then all of a sudden there's this compulsion to do something that you ought not do. Sometimes the doing is simply mental, but sometimes it's outward. Now, people know what sin is. People recognize sin pretty easily for the most part. And sincere, honest people frequently don't want to sin. Except sometimes they make this mistake. And this is one of the reasons why there are people who have trouble avoiding sin. Not sinning. Is they are sincere in their desire to not sin. But they don't know how to deal with it. And so they try to apply a law of sorts. And they say to themselves, okay, you cannot do this. Because that is sin. Well, yeah, that in principle that's true, but in practice, that's really hard to keep up. Because that person starts to go with their own thinking. The compulsion comes and they think they have to fight the compulsion. The thought comes and they think they have to fight the thought. Except they think that the thought is their own. When Satan projects, he uses your mental machinery. He doesn't actually have a voice. 
And so he projects, it's almost like telepathic projection. He projects to your mind and your mental machinery picks up the projection and you can hear your mental voice in your head thinking about whatever it is that he's projecting as temptation. And because it's your mental voice, you think it came from you. And then people start to fight themselves, trying to resist their own thinking, trying to resist their own compulsions, and they get into this spiral, constantly trying to fight themselves, and it wears them down, it gets them tired, and eventually they say, this is impossible, I can't do it, Christianity is very difficult, and they're not happy about it, and often they do fall into sin. What they're doing wrong is they're fighting the wrong person. They're fighting themselves. Satan is the tempter. If I try to control my thoughts or I try to get to this place where I'm trying to resist my own thinking, that's going to take me nowhere. But if I realize that that thought is not my thought, that that temptation is not from me, it's from the tempter who is outside of me, my enemy, the devil, well, I've never had trouble saying no to my enemies. And all of a sudden, it becomes much easier to resist temptation because I'm not trying to fight myself. I'm dealing with the actual source. Well, it's not hard to say no to the enemy. The enemy's a jerk. It's not hard to say no to a jerk. And so all I do is say no to the enemy. I don't get guilty. I don't blame myself. I don't get condemned. I don't feel weird about myself. Because none of that is reality. I just say to myself, Oh, I know where that's coming from. I'm not cooperating with my enemy. And then he has to stop. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. Then he has to stop because he's been identified. Satan hates to be identified. His strength is in being hidden, being behind the scenes. He hates it when you identify him. And so he'll stop. Now he may try it again later. And then later he said, oh, I've heard that one before. I'm not going there. It's my enemy. I'm not cooperating with my enemy. And he has to go again. And before you know it, the temptations stop. Why? Because you've dealt with them properly. You didn't try to fight yourself. You didn't get worn down. You didn't get tired out. Because you weren't fighting yourself, you weren't the source to begin with. In 2 Corinthians 10.4 The weapons of our warfare and yes there is a war between God and the devil and we are involved with that because we are the body of Christ. We are living in a spiritual battlefield and for the most part the battle is over your thinking. That's the prize. Get you to think with God or get you to think against God with your old sin nature and therefore with the enemy. 
the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, we're not fighting by arguing. We're not fighting by literally fighting. We're not fighting by trying to change systems. We're not fighting outwardly. We're not fighting outwardly at all. I'm not a big fan, for example, of protests. People go out and protest all sorts of things. Yes, they have the right. The government gives them the right. I'm not a fan of that. Because you're not going to change things. You may express how you feel and feel better about it. Okay, fine. You're not going to change much. If you want to change things, change souls, change hearts. Get the word of God out there. The word of God changes people. Protests don't change much. The word of God changes people. So I've never been a fan of protests for that reason because it doesn't really do anything. But I am a fan of people receiving the word of God because that does everything. That's the weapon we have is the word of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. God says in Jeremiah 31.3 that the people who are against him, you know what he does with them? He draws them with love. Love is a much more powerful weapon than anger. Love is a much more powerful weapon than conniving and trying to figure things out. No, just love. Because love has no protection against it. There's no way to defend against love. We are designed to receive love. God has love. He is love. How are you going to defend against what God is? Satan can't defend against love. God draws people with the most powerful thing that is. In other words, God, who is the Word, draws people. So you could say, the Word of God draws people with the love of God. And it's not resistible. He wins that way. God wins that way. You win that way. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of satanic strongholds. In other words, the places where he's got strength, where he's got a place, God's weapons will tear those down. We don't fight against flesh and blood in Ephesians 6.12. Sometimes we're tempted to think we're fighting against a person. We're not fighting against a person. We're fighting against demons. People are being influenced by those demons, yes. But they don't know what they're doing. Jesus on the cross, that was a demonic crucifixion. But Jesus said about the people who crucified him, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Well, people that come against us, they don't know what they're doing. Yes, God will fight the battle, and that might mean sometimes he deals with the person At the same time, they don't know what they're doing. We don't fight the people. If God needs to deal with the people, let him deal with the people. If I try to deal with the people, I'm just going to get in God's way. God is much better at dealing with people than I am. Because he knows their thoughts. He knows their hearts. Sometimes people do things not out of anger or hostility, but because of needs they don't know that they even possess. 
sometimes people have very deep things in their life like secret strong wounds damaged souls but God knows that we don't they have ways of thinking we may not even be aware of God knows that we don't so we don't go against the people we let God deal with people God is very very good at dealing with people whether it's to build them when they need built love them when they need love or deal with them in a harsh way in some cases when they're trying to be harsh toward you they set up a snare in other words they set up a trap for you they try to entrap you for something and I've had on occasion not very often fortunately but on occasion People try to set me up because, again, I was a Christian. The same person I told you about before, I remember one time he was talking with a group of people and I was there and he was boasting about things, claiming to have done them, that were illegal. And I knew right away that that was a setup because I also knew that his claim of doing things that were illegal was nonsense it's not possible for him to do that because of what he was talking about. I'm not going to get into it because this is going online. But he was claiming to have done things illegally and boasting about it. And I knew immediately that was, he was trying to bait me into accusing him and to trying to take a step against him, saying he did this illegally and then trying to make me look like the idiot, the liar so that he could have something to use against me. But I knew he was lying. So I didn't say a word. I knew he was disappointed about that. I didn't say a word. I figured, if you really did that illegally, it'll catch up with you. I have no need to deal with you. You know what? You never have any need to deal with somebody coming against you. It will catch up with them. God will make sure that it catches up with them. Because if you set a trap, you fall in it. And sure enough, that guy fell in his own trap. Works like that 100% of the time. You never have to be afraid. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil in Matthew 4, The devil took him to a high mountain in verse 8 and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him, I will give you all these things if falling down you will worship me. The created one wanted the creator to worship him. That's rich. He tried to tempt him with the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus is the king of kings. He already owns the kingdoms of the world. He owns the dirt that the kingdoms were made of. He made the dirt that made the kingdoms. He created the people who became the kings. He was already over all of it. Here's the thing. Satan tries to lure people, tempt people, and he'll offer them things that they already have in Christ. 
in Christ, in other words, we stay true to God, we stay faithful to God, we seek His kingdom first, we have everything. There's nothing that we don't possess. In Matthew chapter 6, He says He gives us everything if we seek first the kingdom. We already have everything. Satan will try to offer you something that you already have. It's like saying, see that car out there? If you do what I want you to do, I'll give you that car. That's my car. How are you going to give me my car? It's my car. But that's the kind of thing he does. You already possess anything that he tries to offer you. So it's an illusion. It's a lie. And then if you go for the lie, you find he doesn't come through. He made an offer, but he wasn't serious. He just tried to snag you. That's how he works. He is a liar and he's the father of all lies. Now, in Revelation 12, 11, after they said that Satan has cast down the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night, that's verse 10. Verse 11, they overcame him, that's us. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the end. Now, testimony is a testimony you would give before a judge like a trial, like a court. They overcame him by the blood. There's no accusation that the devil can make that can stand. Why? Because even if it's factual, it's not true. The blood of Christ removes all sin in Revelation 1.5. In Psalm 103.12, it removes it from time, from history. So you can never go back and say, this is what this person did five years ago. The blood of Christ took it away from time. It removed it. It's out of time. There's no way to find it in time. And God sees all of time. And God says it's not there. So we overcome him by the blood of Christ and then we trust the blood of Christ and it cleanses what we're aware of. We don't think about the things that don't exist. God caused our sin to stop existing. And then they overcome him with the word of their testimony. In other words, we overcome him not only by our confession before God, but allowing a good confession to be the product of faith response to God. We trust what God said and we overcome the devil. Simple as that. We trust what he said and we overcome the devil. And they love not their own lives until the end, And all that is saying is we're not self-oriented and instead of being self-oriented, we have God as our head. And when He's our head, He gives us the thoughts, He gives us the wisdom, He gives us the knowledge, He gives us the ability, He gives us the understanding. We simply take our place in Him as who we already are. And you win. This is how you beat your adversary. You trust the blood of Christ. You trust the word of God so that you respond in faith. 
and you respond to God in faith so that practically speaking, He is the head of your life. And then you can't lose. It doesn't matter what the devil does. He's already beaten because you're one with the God who beat him. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, simply pray, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me so I can have eternal life with you. Amen.